Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my life's dream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this week, my guest is Danny Eccleston, senior editor of Mojo magazine. Not only is he a huge Weller fan, he's also the chap who's been working with Paul Weller over the past few months on a very special edition of the magazine with Paul as guest editor. Danny will tell us how it all came together and share stories of some key interviews from Wildwood right up to now along with a love of the music from the jam to the style council solo and so much more. So let's get into it. Hey, Danny, thanks for joining us. A pleasure. This is hot, literally hot off the press, this news that we're going to talk about in a sec. But before we get into Mojo and June 2021, I want to get into the wellness of you and how much you love the man. So this is going to be a little bit of a test, but can you remember the first time that you heard of the music of Paul Weller? And what did it mean to you? Oh, I think it would probably have been something like uh, Going Underground. It would have been those 1980 singles, you know, Going Underground, That's Entertainment, Start, and the Sound Effects album. I think that, you know, I was, I would have been 12. So that would have been a kind of classic. I would have said that's a classic age for getting into the jam, really. I remember talking to Paul Weller once about young fans of the jam. And he kind of once said, he said to me, yeah, we were real, we were a real playground band. He said, there was like us and madness and the specials and a couple of others. And as soon as he said it, of course, it kind of, all these memories came flooding back of like, yes, kids in the playground turning their school time so the thin bit was at the front <laughs> yeah you know trying to like get your mum to take in your school trousers and you know sort of cutting bits off your lapels of your jacket things like that anything to make you a bit kind of more jam friendly jam centric kind of thing so yeah so it would have been the jam i bought a couple of those singles but i didn't buy a jam album oddly until dig the new breed 
the live album. I think that was just maybe being me being a bit kind of uh, tight. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of investigated back and thought in the city and all mod cons and, and, and all that. And I just got really, really, really into the Star Council. Oh, right. Like probably in a way that more into the Star Council than I'd ever been into the jam. I wouldn't say necessarily the Star Council are per se better than the jam, but they were just my band. And it was partly because of the time, because I was a bit older then. I think what the Star Council represented were all the things that I was like really into at that time. So the, the, the politics was really, really important to me. My family were very political. It was a, like a political background I came from. So. All the left-wing stuff I loved. The jazz and soul stuff I really took on board. It was really the start of also Paul offering that kind of uh, open door to lots of kind of culture and influences that you might not know about. So it was like a, a manual or a kind of A to Z to likes of lots of cool stuff like Colin McInnes and Curtis Mayfield and, you know, Philly Soul and stuff that I just wouldn't have known about uh, if I hadn't been paying attention to what Paul Weller was saying. Was it all the way through? Were you there from Café Blur right through to, to modernism? No, I have to say that I definitely, the cost of loving was definitely a kind of a bit of a disconnect for me. That was where it's not that I hadn't appreciated that kind of 80s techno soul kind of stuff. I, I liked my Arif Mardin productions. I liked Scritti Politti when they went kind of Arif Mardin in, mm. in 1985. I liked stuff like, like those Jam and Lewis productions like Change, Change Your Heart, that kind of thing. What is what I didn't want from the Star Council. And I was actually talking to Mick Talbot about this recently, just to drop a name. And right. um, he rang me the other day. It's yeah, fine. yeah, that's fine. We're all being rung up by Mick Talbot at all hours of the day. And uh, and he was saying, yeah, he thought that that unprompted. I hadn't mentioned my feelings about cost loving. He said that that's definitely where he felt that they lost quite a few people. And we had a bit of a chat about why he thought that was. And he said, well, we were, you know, we were committed to that record. I think we kind of decided that what it wasn't was this kind of fusion that previous Star Council records had been, or the Star Council at their best, brought together like different genres of music and glued them together and made something unique. Whereas I think Cost of Loving was kind of more of a straight homage to a particular style of what was then very contemporary American soul music. And if you didn't like that, or, you know, you could only stomach so much of it, then it just, it just wasn't for you. And I think his point there was that it kind of broke the connection for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, looking back, Confessions of, pop, of a Pomp Group, I, you know, once I became a music journalist and it became my job to kind of reassess music, I, I had to take my hat off to it. It's a really, really amazing record, I think. And I think in the spirit of the Star Council proper, in the sense that it brought lots of elements together and created something unique. And, you know, obviously I, I didn't hear modernism, a new decade until it came out with the box set, you know, in the nineties, like everybody, you know, it's all right. But, um, no, I, 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 I'm kind of our favorite shop is where it kind of is the peak for me. 
But I just love all the stuff before that as well. All the early singles. Long Hot Summer was just um, a really, really key record for me. Head Start for Happiness, uh, You're the Best Thing, you know, all that stuff. Fantastic. And at which point did you decide then a music, a career in music and a career as a music journalist was for you? Well, I kind of did that thing where, you, well, I went, you know, fortunately went to university, had that opportunity to, had the opportunity to work on the university paper, newspaper, and kind of was convinced because I'd read, you know, the news music papers for so long that I knew exactly how to do that um, in that kind of arrogant way that young people have. <laughs> and, um, and then I found out it was a profession or rather something adjacent to a profession and that it was something I could do and get paid for. And that, so that's what I've done ever since. Ever since I left university, I've worked for music magazines been very lucky and you've pretty much demolished all of them along the way as far as mojo is concerned everything else doesn't really exist anymore as in terms of a oh, i thought you meant magazine. i'd closed all the magazines i'd worked on <laughs> i was about to i was about to say only some of them dan <laughs> that wasn't quite what i meant no um, <laughs> but mojo really stands out for me as as an, an incredible magazine i mean it's a joy when that arrives through the letterbox every month i have to say so how long have you been at mojo how long has that been your gig uh, since 2004. So I was before that, I was at Q since from about 96. Before that, I had a stint on the NME along with an apprenticeship on musicians' magazines, which people find unusual, but I always say is a really good thing to have done. Not only are they, is it a, you know, a fantastic sector and the great titles that have really stood the test of time. Uh, I worked on a magazine called Guitarist and a magazine called Drummers called Rhythm. It means that even now I can, if something, if, you know, if a, <laughs> if an interview is going a bit tits up, I can still ask, oh, what's that pedal you've got there? <laughs> and, uh, and, somehow the what's that pedal you've got there question, often you get a funny look, which is like, well, you know what this pedal is. Well, do you know what it does kind of thing? And then two things happen. One, it means that the artist knows that you're not necessarily just wanting to know who they're sleeping with today. They kind of realize that you have some interest in the way music's put together and some kind of accrued knowledge about it, or at least in passion for how music sounds. Always find that puts me on the good side with people. And the first time I interviewed Paul Weller was for a guitar magazine, a magazine really? called oh. The Guitar Magazine, it was called. It was uh, for his Wildwood album at a point where not everyone was interviewing Paul Weller because he was still kind of rehabilitating, I suppose, or it was still perceived that he had some rehabilitation to do. I mean, I'd, I'd seen the Paul Weller movement live and I'd really liked that first solo record. So, so I kn I knew, as did many of us, of course, that that he was back on it, doing great work. And then Wildwood came along, and of course, if you were listening, it was phenomenal. It was a, you know a total mind blowing record. And so I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk to him. And I think it's quite funny. I think that. I remember the negotiations around the interview and they said, well, you'll be putting Paul on the cover then, won't you? I remember we couldn't because I said, we can't put Paul on the cover because we've got a Paul McCartney interview. <laughs> and this goes back to Paul Weller. 
and it comes back again. And it going, well, as long as it's Paul McCartney on the cover, then that's okay. Paul will play second fiddle to Paul McCartney. And the funny thing is, I think ever since, one of the good things about Paul Weller is he'll, he'll always defer to Paul McCartney. You know, <laughs> even now, there's not many people he'll defer to, but he will defer to Paul McCartney. So yeah, so we got the Paul Weller interview and I went down to the Manor Studios in Oxfordshire, which was beautiful place, you know, a real privilege to have been there while great music was being made there, while it was open. And it was just a beautiful spot. And it was a real eye-opener for me. It was obviously the first time I'd interviewed Paul Weller. But I remember him, like, showing me all these records that he was, like, playing. And it was Freeze, Fire and Water. There was a Grant Green jazz guitar album. There was there was Five Leaves Left by Nick Drake. And this was a point where Nick Drake revival was still kind of... It was still early days for the Nick Drake revival. It was like, suddenly, I was going, oh, my God, Paul, you're a hippie. <laughs> you know, and it, <laughs> and it was like, it's like, yeah, you know, he kind of had, was holding his hands up, you know, that it really was the first time that he'd allowed some of this really hairy music across his transom kind of thing. And, and it was the start, I think it was the start, you know, it was one of his many kind of points where he takes stock musically and, and kind of allows an, a load of new influences in and it kind of refreshes his way forward. You know, so I think that observers of Paul Weller will note that there are many, many fantastic records, but there are key records when there's a stop taking and a move on, you know, I think of 22 dreams a bit like that. You know, that's a record where I feel like a new phase kicked in kind of, of experimentalism and, and eclecticism. Wildwood was another one of those. Yeah. I remember him making me a cup of tea and I was just thinking, wow, pop stars never made me a cup of tea. This is quite impressive. Of course I find out later it's something he always does. I mean, Ted Kessler mentions it in the, New issue of Mojo, you know, here's a pop star that will do his round of brews kind yeah. of thing. And uh, I think Paul thinks that kind of thing's important. A few people have mentioned the uh, the tea making. And I, I'd love yeah. to know, you know, is it is it a strong <laughs> cup of tea or a weak cup? Where does it sit in the in the packing order? Can you remember? I <laughs> know oh, it's it's um uh, strong but not too strong. Oh okay. if you've got a pantone reference, um <laughs> I'll uh, I'll pick one out for you. No, it was a good cup of tea. It was obviously a man who makes tea and isn't wasn't just kind of putting on like a tea making kind of uh, pretense for the visitor. <laughs> Brilliant. There's a bit to me. It's a bit almost a bit like um, Doctor Who with these regenerations at different points. And and yes. we've talked about these these three different phases in the career in terms of the jam, the style counts on the solo years. And that's kind of one of the questions I get to at the end of this podcast every episode is you'll have to pick a song from one of those periods. But actually, when you talk about the solo years, we're talking 30 years on its own. And there are those points where you do feel that as a regeneration, like you say, the 22 Dreams comes up a lot. Um, but we seem to be in a real period now where, I mean, the hit rate of the albums and the content and stuff that's coming out of Black Barn and out of Weller over the past few years from A Kind Revolution to True Meanings to Ensemble sunset and now this new record it's remarkable really isn't it yeah well there's very few artists that have this you know of any age really that have this kind of output so and, and other artists allude to it as well it's not like just music journalists going wow he's at it again he's made another record you know there's um in the new mojo we talked to kevin shields from my bloody valentine who mm. appears on wake up the nation adding some of his trademark gnarly ethereal gnarly guitar sounds and he was 
kind of amazed by how well as process you know sort of about how quickly he kind of gets like sort of ideas into his head and how quickly he can get them like sort of made how how quickly he gets sounds on tape how quickly he's confident about something being the right thing the wrong thing there's not a lot of umming and ahhing there's quite a lot of getting on with it and i think that i'm sure that the death of his father which he talks about a lot still you know it's not like something that you know happened and then that's in the past he still talks about it quite a lot and i think that whole sense of mortality and i've got to get all this stuff done because you never know what tomorrow might might bring uh, i think that's that's key I think he's kind of also realized that he's not someone who's who's got a load of hobbies. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't go fishing or go to the football. You know, <laughs> he just likes music. Yeah. You know, so if he's not listening to it, he wants to be making it. So I think that I mean you're quite right. This recent splurge has been really amazing. And of course lockdown has meant that he had more time than he thought he was going to have. You know, he was going to tour on sunset. Mm. He was really looking forward to it. We should get into the new issue because actually June 2021, Mojo, a new man in charge is the front cover. Paul Weller edits Mojo. And this is a great segue because I think one of the, and we'll talk about how that come about, but one of the bits that he talks about is on Sunset. And the quote is, I had the perfect show designed in my mind. He says wistfully, I still have it. So he was Mm. really looking forward to taking that album out on the road. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously that, became impossible. There's something that Stephen Craddock says in the same issue, actually. He said that as soon as kind of lockdown was announced, you know, he immediately started worrying about Weller because he knew that Weller would find it exasperating, like beyond all other human beings to be shackled in such a way. Weller does have the advantage of having his own studio that he can like sort of leg it down to. There was a lot of music making. And I think that I love this idea of the record being the new one, which is called Fat Pop Volume One, as you and your pod listeners are probably already aware of. And his idea initially though was that, that he would release all the tracks as singles. It's typical of Weller to have a plan like this, you know, to go, right, okay, we'll do something different. They're all going to be singles, you know, and release them like singles, et cetera, et cetera. Then it was kind of pointed out to him that, like, people didn't really do singles anymore, which <laughs> which made him quite cross, I think, initially. <laughs> That's uh, right, because he, he calls them impact. There's like a quote where you get impacts tracks, and you can tell he's yeah, a that's, bit like yeah, derogatory. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, yeah. What, yeah, that's what the record industry tends to call these things now, impact tracks, which means obviously you're not going down to the shop and buying seven inches of vinyl. You're like, so you may be experiencing them as a video on YouTube or whatever. But the great thing is, of course, is he thinks of them as singles. So therefore, they have the qualities of singles. So while On Sunset and and the previous record are both really great records, they're kind of shaped conceptually to have a kind of, you know, arc and curve and work as albums. This record's full of like these really kind of spiky, urgent pithy kind of postcards from lockdown kind of thing because he's thinking in your face melody it's like a single would have been it's a really really different approach and the songs all feel really different from each other and there's a level of kind of excitement sustained throughout the record so i think that's 
it's admirable. I think they're great songs and it, it does feel different. They do feel different for having been conceptualized as singles. Right. Interesting. So how did it come about? How did Paul Weller become your new boss essentially? Oh, how did he become the boss? Well, <laughs> um, I kind of had it in my mind for a while that Paul Weller should be a guest editor of Mojo. Because there haven't been many, have there? There's there haven't been many. There's, the first one was David Bowie which I think might have swayed Weller to think that it might be worthwhile doing. And then we've had Tom Waits, Noel Gallagher, and we've had Keith Richards. And I think in every case, there are people that not only have a, you know, they're obviously great musicians and record makers in their own right, but they all have a kind of world that they reference and that they are keen to bring to their fans. So Bowie, famously was would always bang on about the pretty things and the velvet underground and Sid Barrett and the legendary stardust cowboy and people that his fans didn't really know anything about, but he would introduce them to, you know, he was humble enough to kind of say, well, you know, you like me, but what about these guys? You should check, check them out. And I think all the other musicians we mentioned there too are like so obviously fans yeah yeah as much as they are great musicians and i think that's the important quality to have if you're you know to, it's it's kind of like you've got to be a fan and you've got to have an interest in hipping people to music you like yeah. if you're going to be a good guest editor for Mojo. Yeah. So I always thought that Weller would be good at that because because that's what he's always done. We've we've mentioned that before about how, you know, he opens the door and it's like, oh look, there's the Isley brothers. Fantastic. Um or Blue Note Jazz or this, that and the other. When I interviewed him for on Sunset, I was lucky enough to kind of become one of those people that he would text for a short while, you know. Um <laughs> well you know, you know, I, I'm not not bitter. I'm not bitter. Paul I'm not bitter, but no, but it's good because, you know, you'd become one of these people who just go, I've just heard this. It's right. amazing. Yeah. Check it out kind of thing. And, you know, and you'd be, you'd be drawn into this relationship where you wanted to tell him about stuff that you'd heard. And uh, there was this amazing Andrew Hill uh, jazz CD from 1969 on Blue Note that he insisted I listen to. And um, it's called Lift Every Voice. And it's like, it's a jazz record, but it's also got choir on it. So it's kind of got this kind of gospely kind of vibe, which which I think Weller really likes, really loves gospel music, you know, uh, and he loves soul music that's very gospely. And I remember thinking, well, anyone who can like talk about um, the small faces but also talk about Andrew Hill, you know, has the kind of the, the kind of world that, you know, the Mojo reader would appreciate. So, mm-hmm. so I suggested, why don't you become a guest editor this month? So, you know, we'll talk about your album, but you've, but it's also a collaboration where you, where you suggest other music and artists that we cover in the magazine and, and we'll run some ideas past you and say, like, do you want this in your magazine, Paul? So that means it's a magazine that's not just got Paul Weller in it. It's got a big piece on McCartney's Ram, which um, Weller really rates, you know, obviously because he loves Paul McCartney. And, you know, we've got, um, we've got a Kevin Shields interview. We've got a piece on Funkadelic's Maggot Brain to kind of reflect that side of what Paul's into. Paul suggested that, well, insisted, let, shall we say, that we cover Declan O'Rourke 
and the mysterines in the front section is like rise, you know, harsh to say of Declan O'Rourke to call him a rising artist, but because he's been around so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so long. But you know, sort of, he, you know, he he needs a bit of an extra push, and Paul's there to do it. You know, you know, he's produced the record, and he's kind of gone, you know, come on, Mojo, give the guy some love. So it's fair enough because it's he's good. Declan O'Rourke is good. It's like um, there's none of your rubbish. Uh, as being, uh, you know, touted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and again, there's some of those surprising things that, um, so Mojo has a section that we call uh, Buried Treasure. Every month it's a record that, you know, it's not from the mainstream. It's not something that people might not know about it. Paul suggested that we do the third ear band's music from Macbeth, which is a film soundtrack by the third ear band from the 70s. And it's really kind of weird, spooky, avant-garde rock music. And again, like sort of not on a list of records you would immediately associate with Paul Weller, but Weller's really into it. It's, it's an interesting story and it's really weird and interesting music. And, you know, it's kind of a win-win, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's great Mojo content, which Paul Weller has volunteered. And then... You know, our How to Buy section this month is devoted to Ghostbox, which is the small British label with lots of strange, haunting music on and that Paul's really into. And he's made he's made records with the Ghostbox people and the Ghostbox people have been on his records. So again, it's like up here you've got Paul McCartney and down here you've got Ghostbox. And so we feel like it's great. It's a simpatico collaboration between Mojo and Paul Weller and it's turned out really well. Yeah, it's a proper musical journey that you take us on in this issue. And I've had a little sneak preview and it's there's one bit around the coral, which is great, which is a guide to the coral, but particularly around their record label. So we're all aware of um, you know, the coral and in the morning and all those kind of tracks and and Paul's love of them. But what I hadn't quite realized is this connection with the the record label that is, is run by James uh, out of there and the stuff that's coming out of there and and Weller's love of Liverpool as a music city and, and things like that that comes through in that article, which is really lovely too. Weller's like a closet scouser, I think. <laughs> It's like it's like in a different. He was re- maybe he's reincarnated from you know um, a reincarnated Scouser. You know, I mean, he kind of he says in in this little piece about um, about the Skeleton Key label, which, as you say, is the Coral Singers' own record label. You know, he says that you know it's 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 quite intimidating playing in Liverpool. Mm. This is quite a. This is already a bit of a revelation that Paul Weller's intimidated by anything, but let alone kind of, you know, playing a gig, which, you know, kind of meat and drink to him. But yeah. he says he's quite intimidated whenever he plays Liverpool because he kind of looks out into the crowd and thinks, God, any one of these guys probably plays better guitar than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just got that kind of respect for the, the kind of magical aura mm. of... Um, Liverpool is a music town. You know, he's been visiting it for long enough. I mean, there are certain cities that musicians feel like they have these relationships with that where you go and, and you're embraced more than you are in other places. And I think he feels like that about Liverpool. I'm um, guessing there's also the Macca connection, the Beatles connection with Liverpool as well. And you mentioned is Paul on Paul, Weller on Macca, a lifelong bromance is the headline. And this idea that the Beatles taught him everything musically, but also about the power of imagination is, is, is what Paul says. And talking about Ram Macca's second solo album, but there's a couple of stories in there. One around, talk about it being intimidated. One around Come Together, 
together, which was the um, for the Help album. I'm trying to remember the year. It would have been like mid 90s, I'm guessing. And they invited Macca down to play on that as part of the, was it the Smoking Mojo Filters, I think was the band. It was Noel Gallagher and Weller and a couple of others, I think. But um, Yes, we've but- never sued. We've never sued. <laughs> yeah. He talks about, I think, again, about being intimidated or the fact that they, they kind of put their track down before Macca got there because they were worried about <laughs> them being crap or being found out in terms of not being talented enough, right? Yeah, that's right. He uh, So it's him and Steve Craddock and, you know, a few other guys. It wasn't a shoe-in that McCartney was going to contribute to the Come Together track. Weller says that it was Mary McCartney that eventually persuaded McCartney that he needed to do it. And yeah, so when they found out that McCartney was going to actually be on the track, be in the studio with them, they decided that they were going to have to like sort of make sure that they had a safety net. So they put in quite a bit of work, made sure that the majority of the track was kind of ready for when he arrived. And they came in and played some Wurlitzer and uh, a bit of guitar and this, that and the other on it and did some backing vocals. Weller describes himself as being pretty much bricking it actually. yes that's it, that's uh, it. we were <laughs> shitting ourselves he says yeah <laughs> so yeah and, and i mean it's a it's a great version of come together you know for a great cause and it was kind of like one of those real moments in british pop music certainly one of the key moments of 90s music in the uk because because the beatles had been in a way they'd been kind of written out of the picture the 80s weren't kind to them. They weren't particularly revered Mm. during the 80s. Like hip musicians would reference the birds or Velvet Underground, you know, maybe even like 65 to 66 stones, not necessarily the Beatles. The Beatles are like too tarred with the brush of being your mum's favourite pop group. But, you know, so obviously that didn't mean anything to Paul Weller. And of course it didn't mean anything to Noel Gallagher either. You know, they would, they were both, you know, sort of absolutely fans of the Beatles and, and would not be deterred from from that. And of course, the 90s was beginning to see the point of the Beatles. So Oasis, where Paul was going in his solo career, and a load of other bands kind of followed down that route. Probably too many bands ultimately uh, followed them down that route. But no, the whole Beatle revival, you know, so was was at least partly to do with what Noel Gallagher and Paul Weller were doing in the in the 90s. There's a lovely bit around, and I won't spoil the whole article, but there's a lovely bit where they're talking about the um, the Royal Albert Hall and this gig, the Teenage Cancer Trust gig in 2012. They're backstage. Was it Macca says to Ronnie Wood, you should come on and play guitar on Get Back? Um, and this image of Weller behind him going, me too, me too. <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> that you've painted in there or that Paul's told you this story. I thought it was great. Yeah, I think that my feeling about Paul is that he's becoming more and more open to like actually taking the mickey out of himself, which may not always have been the case, or 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 indeed when it was the case, it might might have been misunderstood in the past. I mean, a lot of the humour in the Star Council they are fond of saying was missed or misconstrued. Maybe the problem there was making Jerusalem. You know, giving sense of humour a bad name, perhaps. <laughs> but but no, I, I would say, you know, if you're talking to him now, you know, the last time I interviewed him, I kind of suggested that, you know, he was much more relaxed, much less wary 
of people like myself, like music, mm. of music journalists. Yeah. I think, you know, part of that is just confidence and age and just like being comfortable in yourself and just thinking, you know, sort of not feeling like someone's got your number. Somebody's not trying to trip you up and, and that kind of thing, which you feel maybe is not the case now. There's also that. I mean, you know, I do have friends amongst music journalists who were phoned up by Paul Weller and asked to have a fight, <laughs> you know, in the 90s. Um, that was not an irregular occurrence. And I think that Paul always found it hard to understand why someone would write something about him that they would not necessarily have said to his face. Mm. And I think probably a lot of people out there in pod and listener land would probably think the same way. It's like, no, who's this guy, Danny Eccleston, saying my hair's crap and, you know, my songs are rubbish. But actually, he, he would have accepted if I'd have said his songs were rubbish, because he would say that's fair comment. Right. But like sort of, uh, as we know, a lot of music writing in the old school weeklies in the 80s and 90s was fairly on the edge, you know, sort of it regularly tipped over into ridicule and abuse, you know. And I think that that alienated Paul from the music press for quite a long time. He's fond of saying these days that you lot are all right now. <laughs> or not as bad as you used to be, which I think is probably fair enough. And certainly from where he's standing, it's fair enough. There's two other bits. One one is um, Hello Goodbye. You chat with Mick Talbot, our mate, and the Style Council in there. And also Bill Smith, who's on, on a um, future episode of the podcast talking about the jam record sleeves as well. But there's one other thing which is always a joy. It's that cover-mounted CD. And you created this with Paul as well, because you can see the track listing is like, there's P.P. Arnold, which Steve Craddock produced and, and Weller wrote with um, and worked on the last album. I think she was on a, a, one of Paul's albums in the past too. Black Pew I've seen as a recommendation from Paul before. Stone Foundation, Teenage Waitress, Daniel's been on the podcast, Declan O'Rourke, Richard Hawley, Erlen Cooper. So Paul's clearly worked with you to create this, this lovely CD that, that cover mounts the, the issue as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we asked him for a short list, well, a long list of tracks. Paul said from the start, he said, look, I'll pick loads of stuff that you can get because I'm not interested in having all that major label stuff. I want to have new and you know less well-known stuff you know so so that's why we called it into tomorrow obviously a weller reference nice. but also yep. kind of uh, kind of about the spirit of the cd but there's also kind of again it has lots of strange stuff on it well not lots of strange stuff but enough strange stuff to make you to give you that sense of kind of paul's kind of eccentric and eclectic taste so so the third ear band are on there. So if you don't know anything about the third ear band, check out the CD and see whether that's something you might want to investigate further. And there's this great new Portuguese psychedelic band. They're called Beautified Junkyards, which is a great name. And their track's called Cosmorama. And that's on there. And uh, that's on the Ghost Box label. So again, right. a Ghost Box reference. But it's really a mind-blowing track. And and they're, they're a band really that, I can't imagine any Mojo reader not enjoying in some respect. Paul's collaboration has come up a lot on this podcast and how much he likes working with others and always around music. But the fact that he's created this with you and and it's a real, like I say, musical journey between the things that he loves from past and present because so much of it's looking forward and then introducing us to new artists, but so much, you know, I, mean, I can't wait to dig into the third ear band. I've not heard anything about that and, I, and I, I'm really interested to see what that is and whether I'll like it and, and the story around the sound. Yeah, don't and, blame me if you don't, though, Dan. <laughs> I'll blame Paul. <laughs> 
um, the, the funkadelic, the sadness and madness of Maggot Brain. Um, I did a little bit of research on that earlier. And that's, I mean, that sounds like a nuts story on its own about you know, George Clinton and his their brother and all sorts. So it'll be really interesting to dig into that too. Um, I've got two final questions for you, Danny. Question number one, you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. Uh, it can be Paul Weller solo, The Jam or The Style Council. Which one's it going to be? It's going to be Long Hot Summer by The Star Council. Um, The 12-inch, because it goes on for longer, I get more value for money. Um, I th- it was just it was just a key record in, at a certain time in my life. And there's loads of other tracks I could pick, at least half of 22 Dreams. I always say that uh, You Do Something To Me uh, from Stanley Rhodes is a standard. Like, like, you know, it should be. It's like sort of jazz guys should just play that song. And maybe they will be in 10, 20 years time. I'd like to think so. Because I, I think it's that good a composition. But, you know, I think that sometimes you just have to go with the thing that like hit you at a certain point in your life. And for me, that's... Um, Long hot summer. Final question. So the purpose of this podcast, obviously it's lovely talking to people like yourself, but really it's for me to be able to get in front of Paul, have a chat with him at Black Barn and, and get that interview that I never managed in my radio career. If it happens, what should I ask him? What should I talk to him about? Oh, right. Okay. That's a big question. I think that's really hard. It's really hard to interview Paul Weller because, um, oh God. because there's been a lot of, <laughs> not because he's not a, you know, not because he won't answer your questions or anything, but actually it's, it's hard to find something new to ask mm. him. Do you know what I always say to like journalists when I'm sending them out to interview people, I always say, just think before you go, it sounds like an obvious thing, but just think about the one thing you've really always wanted to know. Put aside the idea it's, it's an interview, you know, or it's like for radio or TV or for a magazine or whatever. Like, sort of, like go in really honest with that question that you really want to know the answer to, because then that's about, it's, it's literally about what you want to know. And I think that's a kind of really honest place to come from. The other thing I always say is, ask a stupid question, which means don't presume that, you know, just because you know so much about this artist, that there's not something really basic that you should ask that you need to know. So for instance, (laughs) the thing I asked him when I interviewed him around On Sunset, which I didn't put in the piece actually, but I'm saving for uh, eventually to use in a piece, is I did ask him, how do you sing and chew gum at the same time, Paul? <laughs> and he looks at me. And he looks because he does that, doesn't he? Yeah. Just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chews away, sings, yeah. sings a song, chews the gum. How do yeah. you do that? Without swallowing it. And he just looked at me and just said, lots of practice. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Don't ask him that one because that's mine. That's your one. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. in, if it all goes tits up, I can ask about guitar pedals. Yes, that's my, that's always my advice. Yes. (laughs) Danny, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to really get stuck into the new issue of Mojo Magazine, I have to say. Um, It looks fantastic. So well done on that, mate. Enjoy. My thanks once again to Danny. That was lovely. The new issue of Mojo Magazine with guest editor, Mr. Paul Weller, is a must read for any fans. It's available right now. You'll find a link in the show notes for this podcast. On my next episode, we head across the English Channel to France and 
chats to Christophe Vellon, the man behind the fabulous music of Le Super Amant. Not only is he a massive Paul Weller fan since he was a young mod, but he also got to remix one of Paul's tunes for the On Sunset Remix EP last year and was due to support Paul on the European tour before COVID put things on hold. Don't forget to share this episode on social media, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us to find new listeners to the show. You can find me on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's at Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.